Reading through today's gospel lesson last week, I had the following interior dialogue with Jesus. Jesus, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Me. Okay, I can see that, if poor in spirit means being humble or gentle. At least it isn't blessed are the poor or blessed are the hungry, like you say in Luke chapter 6. Jesus, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Me. Hmm. Wouldn't they be more blessed if they didn't have cause to mourn in the first place? Then they wouldn't need to be comforted. Jesus, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Me. Okay, but I thought I could get the kingdom of heaven by just being poor in spirit and skipping the persecution. Jesus, blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Me. If that's your idea of being blessed, how is it better than being cursed? Jesus, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Me. Oh, my reward will be great in heaven. But I hear that heaven's going to be great anyway, reward or no reward. So may I convert my heavenly reward to an earthly one that I can enjoy now, like roasting my persecutors over a slow fire? That would really bring my blessedness home to me. Now before you start wondering how the LCMS ordination process failed to weed out someone like me, you're welcome for voicing the thoughts that come to the minds of many of us when listening to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, of which today's Gospel lesson is the beginning. One of my jobs as a pastor is to say and to speak to what we might be thinking but wouldn't say out loud. To take off the band-aid, so to speak, and to imply God's incisive and healing word to the infection underneath. In today's gospel lesson, Jesus calls people blessed. And so we know that this part, and so we know this part of his Sermon on the Mount as the Beatitudes from the Latin word beatus, which means blessed. The Greek word translated blessed is makarioi, which could also be translated the fortunate ones or the happy ones, or from its root makar, even the ones who have been enlarged, who have been increased. In the Beatitudes, Jesus tells us that how we feel may not be how we really are. Being humble, persecuted and the object of derision for his sake is probably not going to make us feel very blessed. So Jesus makes a point of telling us that there is more to reality than we perceive. He speaks from a heavenly perspective, but very much to people on earth. He reveals to us what we would never believe from our earthbound point of view, that people who are poor in spirit are not cursed or unfortunate, but blessed, fortunate, happy, and full. 
If you're happy and you know it, congratulations. But Jesus tells us that sometimes we are happy, fortunate, and blessed, and don't know it, and certainly don't feel it. Serving one another, from changing diapers to mopping floors to treating bed sores to investing in people who don't reciprocate or express gratitude, is a blessing, despite appearances and emotions to the contrary. Trying to do justly, to walk humbly with God, to be peacemakers, meek, evangelists, and defenders of the vulnerable in the face of opposition, we may think that God has abandoned us, when in reality we are the apple of his eye. Being merciful, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and being persecuted for the sake of righteousness, it may look to us like our present circumstances are the whole story. They are but a piece of a wonderful story that isn't about us, but in which God has given us a part. Jesus' words remind us that we can't necessarily tell how things really are simply by how they look or feel to us at the moment. We are on the ground, but Jesus gives us a heaven's eye view. One of my favorite sermon illustrations, as you may know, is about us being actors in God's drama in which Jesus is the lead. And it's worth repeating here. In his essay, The World's Last Night, C.S. Lewis writes, quote, To play well the scenes in which we are on concerns us much more than to guess about the scenes that follow it. In King Lear, Act 3, Scene 7, there is a man who is such a minor character that Shakespeare has not even given him a name. He is merely first servant. All the characters around him, Regan, Cornwall, and Edmund, have fine long-term plans. They think they know how the story is going to end, and they are quite wrong. The servant has no such delusions. He has no notion of how the play is going to go, but he understands the present scene. He sees an abomination, the blinding of old Gloucester, taking place, and he will not stand it. His sword is out and pointed at his master's breast in a moment, and then Regan stabs him dead from behind. That's his whole part. Eight lines, all told. But if it were real life and not a play, that is the part it would be best to have acted. Unquote. We can strive to play well the role, the role in which we have been cast, even if in our limited perspective it seems insignificant or miserable or unseemly. That role may have much less to do with our plans and our perceptions and more to do with how we f handle the circumstances in which we find ourselves, many of which are out of our control. And while there is much that we don't know, we do know that God is in charge, that Jesus has won the victory, baptized into him, who achieved his victory over sin on a cross, 
and broke the hold of death over us. His victory is ours. As the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 25, God's foolishness is wiser than human's wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. No one, Jew or Greek, looks for a victorious king and savior on a cross. And yet that is where we find him. And in him, we are truly blessed, full, happy, and fortunate, even when we don't feel that way.